0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Let's just level set the Sean Payton situation right now. Payton is one of the top candidates To become the Texans' next head coach. They interviewed him on Monday on Zoom. Here's Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network laying out Sean Payton's schedule for the week.
2: His second interview this week. Houston Texans were on Monday, Denver Broncos in Los Angeles for multiple hours. Uh, That happened yesterday. Then he's got the Carolina Panthers in New York with owner Dave Tepper later this week and as of right now that is it for sean payton mike and the arizona cardinals also have a request in they've received permission all of these teams the teams are willing to meet the saints asking price which is a first rounder and likely more so they are in business and they are ready to do the deal if they in fact end up doing the deal and really uh for sean payton i think there's a couple things one uh all of these teams represent interesting and different opportunities so it's really a matter of him deciding what he wants. Russell Wilson in Denver, obviously. Houston Texans do not have a quarterback, will likely be picking one at number two. Carolina Panthers also do not have a quarterback. Does he want an established one? Does he want to help pick his own? Where does the cap space land? Some teams have general managers, like, say, the Denver Broncos. Some teams, uh, also also Houston Texans, of course. Uh, and, and look, there's varying degrees of would he get final say, would he not a lot here at stake for Sean Payton and a lot of decisions to be made.
1: I think it's interesting the the part there there are a few things in there. We're going to get to Cowherd here in just a second and some of the things that he had to say about the conversations he and Payton had over dinner a couple nights ago. Um, but the he he went of all the opportunities that Payton is looking at right now, Cowherd went the deep or I'm sorry, Rappaport went the deepest on Denver right there. You know, they met multiple hours in LA, talked about Russell Wilson. I do think that's an interesting contrast. For Peyton, that's a that's a serious distinction from Denver, and I'll throw Arizona in there too, just because they've already got their quarter their quarterback, who I think people feel like needs to be developed in some way. Yeah, it, it is interesting because Carolina and Houston really are on one side of the fence, and Denver and Arizona on the other side. Where on the Denver Arizona side, you're being asked to sprinkle some of your Drew Brees dust on these quarterbacks and try to get them playing well again. Yeah. Whereas in Houston, and I would say Carolina as well, Houston's better positioned to get a quarterback, but you're in all likelihood going to be developing a young quarterback in both those places. Yeah, and
3: I wonder there too, okay, so do you want as clean a slate as possible? Do you want a rehab project? Because I think that the rehab project is, has its positives and negatives. I think a rehab project in Kyler Murray, at the very least, if you rehab him and bring him along, then then you've got a long stretch of competitiveness ahead of you. With Russell Wilson, it's a little less clear. If you if you get Russell Wilson playing like he was in Seattle, it's still not all that clear that that's even all that good and for how much longer will he have it as he gets older and older. So the the Denver the Denver situation seems like it's just rife with so many pitfalls that with Arizona, I think he could t- he could come in within a year or two, say, well, Kyler Murray's not my issue anyway. I I tried my best, but we got to move on. So uh, it really comes down to what he really thinks of Kyler Murray. With the Panthers and the Texans both, he has a situation where he's got a, a, a clean slate. The Texans have more draft capital. I think both owners are very willing to spend. And they both are weak divisions right now. With a lot of it. I mean, the Jaguars, of the eight teams in the NFC South and AFC South, there's really only one quarterback out of those eight teams – that has a big upside, right? Now, and that's Trevor Lawrence. And that's still, you know, to actually be a competitive team with your good quarterback or a dominant team is a whole other story. They haven't proven that yet. So I think those two make the most sense. I think it comes down to the Panthers and the Texans.
1: Mm-hmm. He's meeting with the Panthers on Friday, Thursday or Friday, I believe, in New York with Dave Tepper, the uh, the owner, the billionaire hedge fund manager. Um, so that's... Um, that was Ian Rappaport laying things out. Before we get to Cowherd, here was Saints beat writer Nick Underhill. Very quick cut on what he's hearing about the meeting between Sean Payton and the Houston Texans over Zoom. Heard that the, the meeting with Houston last night went really well. Um, both sides were impressed with one another. I think that's probably going to be the feeling coming out of a lot of these. All right, both sides were impressed with one another. There's a quick cut, but yeah. that's so that's Nick Underhill. Jeff Duncan, who is a sports columnist in New Orleans, Said that um, that said this. The interviews with the Texans and the Broncos went well, according to sources. Has a lot of things to say about Denver, but he says that Peyton is comfortable with the Houston brain trust, likes the draft capital, salary cap room, wide open playing field he'd have to rebuild the Texans. These are all really good things being reported by people who are close to the New Orleans Saints and presumably Sean Payton. And then comes Colin Cowherd yesterday, swinging in on a chandelier like a pirate, ruining all of our hopes and dreams, possibly. Um, take a listen to this. This is the cut that was making the rounds yesterday. Colin Cowherd, who led into this by saying that he and Sean Payton were out for several hours eating and drinking the night before, and Payton regaling him with stories of his time in the NFL. Cowherd had this to say about the importance of ownership in the
4: NFL. There's a lot of bad owners out there that sometimes they inherited money uh, from a family. A lot of times they don't even like the sport. Uh, somebody dies in the family, they're left with it. Um But the gap, I can tell you this, um, the gap, listening to stories last night, between the haves and the have-nots in this league is not just quarterbacks or coaches. It is ownership. Even on Zoom calls, you can spot the dysfunction. Zoom calls. Not even being in the room, you can see why certain teams lose.
1: Okay, so that that was... We were fine until the Zoom call part.
3: Yeah. yeah, the Zoom call is a smoking gun that goes right back to the Texas. Hey, you be talking that's about
1: anybody. Oh, wait, the Zoom call. Um, <laughs> that's like, like saying...
3: That's like telling uh, telling somebody that in the mafia that their secret your secret is safe with me. I'll never tell them your name. I will tell them that you are a five foot seven Italian American uh, with with an eye patch. But I'll say no more than that. <laughs> right? Your secret boom and then you capped. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so <it's laughs> if there's worth-
3: any part of Sean Payton that wanted that information to remain secret? Uh, it's or out there a- now. off record? Yeah, I feel like Coward uh, didn't do a very good job of protecting his source. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we should point out the Texans
1: are reportedly, reportedly the only team he's met with over Zoom. So the, yeah. the connecting the dots there that yep. a lot of people are doing. Now, we talked about this cut a little earlier in the show, and I thought it, it, the easy thing off of that cut is to go, well, the Texans are incompetent and they're not getting Sean Payton and all these things. That's the yep. easy take to have. Um, but I thought you you laid out some good things earlier about how these things can get kind of conflated and twisted And there's alcohol and storytelling (laughs) and all those things, and you know, and then Colin Cowher goes and gives you a 30 second soundbite that's possibly summing up a mashup of three different stories. Uh, Yeah,
3: and I think that I, I think what could have easily happened here is, hopefully, what happened was that over that Zoom call that Cal and Hannah McNair and perhaps Nick Casario just flat out opened up about what had been going on in the last two, two or three years and acknowledged dysfunction. And in the telling of that story, I could very easily see Colin Coward as a member of the national media that likes to just try to kind of lump the whole Houston situation into one big mash a mishmash of awfulness that, that he heard. What Colin Coward may have heard was, Oh yeah, Houston, it's been a dysfunctional mess. And, uh, that's what even the owners, you could tell talking to him. Okay. If, if Cal and Hannah McNair just flat out openly said, Hey, hey, this is what was going on. This is what was bad. I'd be cool with that. And that's what I'm hoping is, is what happened. Yeah. If, if Sean Payton felt that way and it was because he genuinely got a bad impression currently, of those guys, then I would be worried not because I'm so enamored of snack bar Peyton. Uh, I don't I don't care if it's Peyton necessarily, but it would buy it would concern me that other candidates might feel the same way.
1: Yeah, they got an interview with D'Amico Ryan's tomorrow. You know, yeah. like that's you know that that's yeah that would be that would be concerning for sure.
3: So um, the other thing, you know, it, it, he went on. Coward went on to talk more about the various ownership groups and how some like Dan Snyder are known as uh, atrocious ownership groups where others like the Patriots are known as great ownership groups and and he brought up the Chiefs which I thought was interesting here's what he had to say about the Chiefs
4: Andy Reid had many suitors when he left Philadelphia quarterback situation wasn't ideal the Chiefs momentum and culture maybe not he chose the Hunt family over several other suitors the Hunts are known the, the Kansas City chiefs alumni players alumni, nobody treats their players in the NFL their former players better than the chiefs it 's understood in the league okay
3: now this is that part was very interesting to me because the Hunt family in some respects mirrors the Texans and how the ownership progressed. Lamar Hunt passed away and, and he was the original owner passed away in two thousand six or seven. And Clark Hunt eventually, of the of the siblings of his children and his family, Clark Hunt uh, ended up taking control. He became the CEO in 2010. So from 2007 to 2010, the Chiefs went four and twelve, two and fourteen, four and twelve. They were a mess of a situation. Uh, they, you know, it was Herm Edwards followed by Todd Haley and. I don't think people thought of the Chiefs at that point as one of the best organizations in football and one that was just head and shoulders above the rest. There was... And I remember talking to Jamie Roots about this, the former Texans president, because Jamie Roots had been working for the soccer team there that the Hunt family owns. Mm -hmm. And... To the way, I don't want to pull a Colin Coward here and like relay stories that Jamie told me over dinner, um, <laughs> with per, uh, perhaps inaccurately. But there wasn't it wasn't so simple. It wasn't so simple that hey Lamar Hunt died and then uh, Clark Hunt took over and everything was awesome. There was a little bit of jockeying and readjusting, and they had to figure some things out. And I think hopefully. In the story of the Houston Texans, this last couple years will have been that moment for the Texans where where Mr. McNair passed away and then as Cal's taking over, there were some missteps, there was dysfunction, but that ultimately things settled down. And, and I could see this being that year that things have settled down and get moving forward on the right track. Let's not – because I get so tiresome when people talk about – I mean it was four or five years ago people were talking about how the Bills owner was clueless and idiotic and he had to sell because he didn't know how to hire the right people. We we see this all the time. Now all of a sudden the Bills are the bell of the ball. And uh and the Chiefs were the same way back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine.
1: Yeah, I, I it it's so much of it is just chicken and egg. When you start winning, all of a sudden you're a good owner. And that's why I heard the the entirety of the cut that Cowherd had the outside of the Kansas City piece. You mentioned it. He, when he was doing the good and the bad he's you know mentioning a couple good owners and a bad owner a couple good owners and a bad owner and he mentions Daniel Snyder and I go man I just hate I hate to see the McNair's get lumped in with someone like da- Daniel Snyder's like a legitimately deplorable human being like that's a bad owner because he's a bad person like he's not a good guy there's categories of bad owners I think you know I, I think I think Cal's made some decisions he'd like to have back you know we had him yeah. in studio last week and he talked about, the willingness to spend, and I asked him, is that the main function that you feel like as an owner, like that's the biggest thing, is the willingness to invest resources? And he said, yeah, but before that, you know," he said, yeah, but also get good people and let them go use those resources to do it. I'm paraphrasing, but that's how I feel. I've said all along, man, there's two things I want my owner to do. Hire good people and give them as many resources as they need to go win a championship. And I think the resource thing is not an issue, but – they know this. They've got to hire better people. Otherwise, he wouldn't be going through their third coaching coaching search in three years. So I, I think, yeah, like I, if I'm Peyton, there's part of me. And I, look, I wasn't on the Zoom call, so I don't know exactly if he saw something on the Zoom call with the Texans. I don't know what that is. But I do know this, that if I'm Peyton, I know that Cal is not a meddlesome owner, for one thing. He ain't Ursay, right? Um And he's going to spend money, and maybe you look at it as an opportunity. Like, okay, if he's just going to hire me, I'm going to be the difference in all this, right? The the, the ego involved says, I'm going to be the one that gets this franchise back to where it needs to be. If he hires me, I have a good GM that I like, and he said good things about Casario, Peyton has, and he gets the hell out of the way, the owner, then we can go do some things. Draft a quarterback and let's go do some things.
3: I'm uh, looking at an article here from 2011 talking about the uh, the dysfunctional situation with the Chiefs uh, at the point when Romeo Cornell took over from Todd Haley. So it was uh, it was uh, it was a it was a fun and raucous several years. Uh, See, it's the same
1: that, thing. We even had a Romeo Cornell interim phase, just like the did. Chiefs yeah, did. Yeah, we. Wait.
3: We have, everybody's got a Romeo Cornell interim phase, Sean, in their lives. It's, uh, you know. is like, like, like
4: deodorant to me.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. Uh, you don't count it in your total number of, uh, you know, just like you don't. Just like a woman might not, in reporting her numbers, she might not count that you know her whole entire freshman year of college. That's right. That's uh, right. Likewise, we don't count Romeo Cornell as one of our actual head coaches. He was just a phase we were going it's not through. Not a relationship. It was just yeah.
1: right. It was a it was a twelve game stand is what that. I'm was. I'm
3: inclined to agree <laughs> with you there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> right. uh, pain in, pain <laughs> and pen- what is Romeo's up to? Uh, is he still... He might still be in the organization. No, I, I thought know. he
1: retired this offseason. I think he's, he
3: officially retired. I think
1: he officially retired. I'll go check that during the break. How these
3: guys pop up is they still consult. They go in and they're like, uh, you yeah. know, they, they give him an office and they watch some film. They right. try to poke holes in game plans,
1: stuff like that. I think yeah. he was in an episode of Law and Order. No, just-
3: <laughs> <laughs> He'd be good. He'd be awesome. He could be typecast <laughs> Dude, in a good way. Totally, you know, just like a, like a, a reassuring grandfatherly type. Yeah, He'd give you some. Give you some Good, uh, good, good wisdom or something. Some invite, advice on how to handle your your girlfriend, and yes. uh, and then he'd be off.
1: Yeah.
5: some real. deluxe nuts laid out on the table. That's okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Ben. Uh, text message trailer wheel and frame text page. Nine zero
5: four five twenty to
1: twenty five million a year, and some say two first round picks for Peyton. Peyton can bleep right off. <laughs> Except he doesn't bleep it on the text. Yeah, page.
3: people don't. There are a lot of people that were peeved that the Texans might even have to give up the number twelve overall. I would have been okay with that because I feel like he he minimizes some of your downside risk, and if you're paying for that, I'm okay with that. Um, more than that, plus this twenty five million dollars reportedly that he wants per year, <laughs> when I can get. I can get presumably a D'Amico Ryan's for four million a year or so. It's like the going rate for first-time head coaches is is, is much more achievable. And this doesn't this doesn't affect anybody except the McNairs. But I do feel like it, somehow it all works out. It, crossed, a, it dude. It, 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 it comes out somewhere. The
1: twenty-five yeah. million crossed the threshold for me because I. I I was the one earlier in the week saying, asking you why you're concerned about a 10 year deal. It's not your money, yeah. and 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 now he's I'm, I'm hearing 25 million a year, and I'm like, screw you, dude.
3: There is well, there is that part too. Where okay, uh, what are his motivations in coaching? Is he still driven to greatness, or has he realized that there's a hundred million dollars sitting on the table mm-hmm. out there, there for the taking? Yep. And uh, I, don't, I don't want that guy. I don't want the guy that just realized that there's a, a cash grab that, to be had. All
1: right. Will the Cowboys be done in by a decision that they've made this week? And also, ideas to revamp and refresh the Manning cast for year three. We've got that for you next.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, good to be with you, Payne and Pendergast. Um, the Cowboys, we got playoff football this weekend, man. Uh, Cowboys and the 49ers in San Francisco. That's the final, final game of the week. And the Cowboys are going to be sticking with their kicker, Brett Maher, for the game this week. And if you recall, the reason why this is a topic... Maher missed four straight PATs, four straight extra point attempts in the Monday night game against Tampa Bay. It was so bad it elicited this reaction on the Manning cast.
5: Yeah, going left, throwing back right,
3: in
1: the end zone. Oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. I've never seen anything like it. Why
3: are, what are we kicking on? it?
5: Why are we kicking it? What is going he <laughs> can't believe? Talk it. about a buzz kill. No one's ever
3: missed three field, three extra points in a row. That's kind of guy be a at halftime of a playoff game. That'd be a record. All
1: right, so he 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 ended up missing four, and actually, I mean, this doesn't get mentioned much. He missed his last extra point attempt in the yeah. previous game, so he yeah. he missed five straight over a two game stretch. Brett Maher, but they're going to stick with him for this game this weekend.
3: I um, you know, I I think this. You cannot mess with this Dallas Cowboys. I, I don't think like uh, the Yips are the Yips and it's one thing if it's maybe uh, you know an infielder on your favorite team or something that looks like you might have the Yips briefly. That's one of nine defensive players in any given time. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that I don't think that you're, you're about to enter you're about to enter a slew of games where you're not likely to blow the other team out the way you did on Monday night. And I would not mess with this at all. There are any number of guys out there right now on the street that can come in and kick extra points. Yes. If you, if you lose it, boy. I mean, if you lose this game, if you lose this game to the incredibly potent 49ers uh, who are just at their peak right now, um, if you lose this game by... One or two missed extra points—that's on you, man. You gotta, you gotta fire everybody at that point. <laughs> you gotta fire Jerry Jones. There's no, <laughs> there's no other choice. There's no other way. If ands, or buts about it. You ha- listen, the the vex of your organization right now. The reason that you haven't won hardly nearly as many playoff games as you should have over the past two decades is that you had a really good quarterback who would still do things like bobble extra point snaps and come up very, very small in fourth quarters and overtimes at very key and clutch moments. So now you're going to sit here and act like a a guy missing a record number of extra points in a row is no big deal? Get his ass out of there. I don't care. Oh, no, you got to hold his hand because it's a psychological issue. He can get that help elsewhere. Send him to Central America somewhere. Do some medical tourism. Just get him the hell out of Texas. He's bad for the entire state.
1: In a perfect <laughs> the whole state. it is. Uh, in a perfect world, that game comes down to like a 33 yard field goal at the end of the game. Like that's the drama that that's that's the theater I want that it comes down to a Brett Maher kick to win the game. Not that he's missed a couple and they wind up losing by two. I need a moment. I need a moment in this game. And if it's anything like last year's divisional round, if you recall Seth, what did last yeah. year's divisional round have? Every game came down to the last play.
3: That's right. Yeah, yeah. Nick Folk was a kicker in um, 2009 with the Cowboys who had missed seven of nine uh, field goals. Or, excuse me, seven of 11 field goals in a row when he was released. Like, that's not nearly as bad as missing four extra points in a row if you go from the previous game into this one. Yeah. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah. I don't um, – look – Look, I grew up in, near Buffalo as a, as a young Bills fan growing up. I always thought it was heartening the way that Scott Norwood was never, you know, he was never crucified for his one error in a game where he could have won a Super Bowl, but he lost it. Um, like it was, you know, he, people people were sympathetic to him. This is not that same situation. This is, uh, this is a guy, like, you can see it coming. Norwood missed one kick in a crucial moment. It wasn't an easy kick or anything. No, it was 47 it just, yards. Yeah, what was it? 47. 47, yeah. Um, and uh, this is a different situation. I feel like uh, for Maher's own safety, this is, you know, you got to remember, this is Dallas. This is not so different than some of those countries where a drug lord might kill a goalie if he screws up a game. Same exact Uh,
1: thing, yeah.
3: Maher, I mean, you're putting Maher's physical safety at risk. There's barely any laws up there around Arlington. (laughs) Sure as hell don't have condoms. They, like they, it's just uh, it's a mess because the high STTU dates, right, STD you date. Right, 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 right. They've been incredibly high uh, venereal. Venereal. T- it wasn't, t-
1: wasn't a population there. boom. It's the STD boom, is what you're saying. That's they've that-
3: single handedly brought. Well, actually, like a lot of times, two handedly brought gonorrhea back. Sean, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. Was, uh, it was. It was. It's, it's a bad situation up there. Epidemic proportions. Yep. Uh, They've been wearing masks up there since 2017. (laughs)
1: Right. Um, Text message trailer trailer wheel and frame text page seven seven three nine nine. Okay, we're getting a lot of questions like this about the process with Sean Payton. Um, Why are the Texans even doing a Zoom call for the interview if it's so important? Fly out, take the guy to dinner at least. I would be offended if I just got a Zoom interview if I was Sean Payton. Okay, here's the thing. One. Sean Payton was not allowed to interview face-to-face with teams until Tuesday. Those are the rules. January 17th was the first date that he would be allowed by league rules to interview face-to-face. Two, if you want to get it going quickly, then a Zoom is a good way to get it going quickly. Three, it might have been Sean Payton who said, let's do a Zoom. Like, Sean Payton may just not be as hot on the Texans out of the chute as he is for Denver or Carolina. And it could be Payton's side going, you know what? let's do a zoom first and then let's see if it's worth moving on to have deeper conversations in person.
3: Right. The, as far as the Broncos group, they were uh, geographically right in the same area, just North of LA apparently. Um, So that was a little bit easier. I know it's, it's, Look, look, uh, just driving, just traveling by private jet is much easier than commercial air travel, but it's still a whole extra, it's a day hey, you gotta spend if hey, you're flying to Houston and back uh, versus a Zoom call, you It's know?
1: expensive. If they're gonna pay this guy $25 million a year, a year they just can't be jet-setting it every single they, time something comes up.
3: What if they sent him on, uh, what if they sent him on a, a Southwest flight? So they're like, yeah, come on in. And they, as, like, as a test, yeah. they put you on a Southwest flight.
1: <laughs> yeah, well... Better now than a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Yeah. What? laughs> that Southwest. would be the true indication Payton's, of Payton's, dysfunction. <laughs> Peyton's <laughs>
1: luggage is stuck in Boise for for three weeks.
3: Hey, nothing against Southwest, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than you know the the recent issues aside, yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, usually, that was uh, when I was um when I was going into what would have been my eleventh year, and I was coming off of an ACL. The Falcons had me come in just to do a physical, and they flew me, they flew me coach, and that's where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm that, yep, that's where I am now, that's, uh, <laughs> that's 325 fantastic. pounds crammed into coach, and that's, and then, and then, and then when they kept me, they, uh, that was I had stayed overnight because they brought me in like on a on a week night like on a Tuesday night and I had a physical Wednesday morning and I was they roomed me with a kicker from uh, no, some guy up. that was there hold, for the stop, offseason program stop, yeah stop <laughs>
1: they no way yeah an NFL yeah. team flew yeah. you in to visit with you as a free agent and yeah. put you up well, gave you a roommate. It
3: was – yeah, it was – and it, it, I was a mess physically. My body was just all beat up.
1: That's still uh, some so, nickel-dime yeah. BS, man. But
3: I also – no, but I do think that – I think some of that might have been a test because if they're going to bring you in as a veteran and they want you to be a good veteran leader and everything, but you're not going to make the money you used to make, I think they wanted to see if, you know, if I'd complain about it or something. So, you know, obviously you don't – I didn't say – what am I going to do? Like, I'm like I got to tell you guys. I don't know what kind of chicken, uh, chicken bleep operation you guys are running here. But I had to, I had to sit in the middle seat and coach. That's, Seth Payne, don't play that game. You know, I wasn't going to be that guy. Obviously. I'd
1: rather stay in a flea bag motel by myself on a trip than have a roomie at the Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> at this stage of my life, know, you know what I, I know, mean? I
3: know, I know. <laughs> it's awkward, especially a guy you don't know. Right, right. You man. know, there was. It's one thing if it's somebody that you're at least casually acquainted with. But it's like, hey, how you doing? I, I snore and fart a lot. Good to meet you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> three in the morning, guys. <laughs> like clearing his throat, like John Candy in planes, trains, and automobiles.
3: So Sean Payton, who is uh, reportedly looking for twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year, probably wouldn't have taken. I'm getting angrier that. and
1: angrier every time I hear twenty-five million. Twenty-five million. This guy highest-paid coach million. makes twenty million. This guy wants twenty-five
3: million dollars. He wants you to cough up a mid-first-round pick. And he wants you to believe that, oh, yeah, I'm just as driven and motivated as I ever was, even though it looks like I've gained 30 pounds right. in the last year. Right. <laughs> you hear all these other stories, Sean. Honestly, like a whole. Yeah, I kept using the phrase lean and hungry, you know, from. from Because I love to quote Shakespeare about how I wanted my coaching candidates right. to look like Kyle Shanahan. He's got a lean and hungry look. Andy Reid has a hungry look. Um, Peyton doesn't even have a hungry look. He looks like a guy that's uh, that's. Just eating because he's bored. I want a guy that's been grinding away, getting back in the game because he's got something to prove. Yep. And I, I can't have him getting made fun of and being called Snack Bar by Michael Strahan and Howie Long and and Terry Bradshaw. I'm yeah, he's, he's getting
1: sand kicked in his face at the beach by 74-year-old Terry Bradshaw. He just wants to. You got to
3: watch. Mike McCarthy's about to blow it this weekend. <laughs> And I don't need some guy that's trying his best to look like Mike McCarthy coming in to coach my football team. All
1: right, um, ideas to refresh and maybe enhance the Manning Cast in year three. Barrett Sports Media had an article where they he they interviewed uh, four or five different program directors, Seth, including our boss. So our boss oh, was really? one of the ones they interviewed about the Manning Cast and ideas to make it better in year three let's let's grade our boss parker's answer to the question yeah let's 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 grade his answer to what he would do to improve the manning cast in year three headlines as well next
3: all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time
1: Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, Payne and Pendergast with you. So um, Barrett Sports Media, which is a website owned by Jason Barrett, a former program director at a, a handful of stations, and now he's a consultant, and he, he's got a bunch of writers that write for him for his website. Um, one of his uh, writers, uh, Dimitri Ravenos, did a piece, and the headline is, Programmers Offer Ideas to Refresh the Manning Cast in Year 3. I think it's safe to say the Manning cast is here to stay, and it's undergone some tweaks and some little revisions in its first couple of years, but I think it's it's uh, it's widely thought of pretty well. I don't watch a ton of it, and I think probably the, the Manning cast— I don't want to say the bloom is off the rose of the Manning cast, but it does feel like it's kind of faded into the background a little bit more this year, and I think it has less to do with the Manning cast itself than it does— ESPN slash ABC finally getting what feels like an A list team to cover the actual regular broadcast. Oh, you know, okay. I, I think I think a lot of the appeal of the Manning Cast in year one of the Manning Cast, Seth, was uh, that the regular broadcast was carried by Steve Levy, Louis Riddick, and Brian Greasy, who are all very professional broadcasters, but they don't pop as a team. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. It feels big. Say what you will about Joe Buck. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like Joe Buck, largely based on his calls of Astro playoff games through the years. Um, But Joe Buck and Troy Aikman give a game a big feel. And I think that's probably, probably the worst thing to happen to the Manning cast. Might not even be anything with the Manning cast. It's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have people watching more of the regular feed of the game? As
3: of late November, their ratings had fallen off a good bit from last year. Like last year, they averaged 1.6 million Mm -hmm. viewers. This year through November 22nd, um, like, well, week seven, week eight, week nine, they were all 1.5 or less million viewers, um, down to like 1.17 million for Baltimore, New Orleans. So it's, it's different. But I also think that, I think the Manningcast is as much of an internet deal as it is a actual live broadcast deal. Yep. I'm guessing that their I'm guessing their YouTube views and everything else are doing all right. And it's like, look, if you can get a million people on a on a on a B or C class cable station, that's not bad at all. So I think it's it's viable and it's functioning. But it was never intended to be. Like the actual broadcast or anything?
1: No, there's there's absolutely still a home for it, and it is yeah. the gold standard. And I say this as someone who's lukewarm on it. It's the gold standard for alternate broadcasts of games, I, in my opinion. So, um, so Dimitri Ravinos of Barrett Sports Media did a piece about trying to freshen up the Manning cast. And one of the questions was, as a programmer, what would you do to freshen up the Manning cast brand next season? It's going to be year three next year. Our boss, Parker Hillis, was one of the programmers who he interviewed for this piece. So, do you, would you like to hear what Parker's idea was to freshen it up? Yes, I right, do. It's great, his answer. Because we'll have to
3: apply it to our show, too.
1: That's right. Um, it might not be freshening it up, but the biggest thing I would do to tweak the Manning cast is limit the interviews. Yeah. Peyton and Eli can carry the broadcast with their personalities and knowledge alone. Having big-name guests from the NFL, the sports world, and pop culture makes for a great promotion piece to draw in a different audience. But at the end of the day, it's distracting and pulls away from the game I'm watching and the brand of the broadcast itself. I want to connect with Peyton and Eli that's what the brand is built around so give me more of them
3: that's um and that's a, that is where i think they struggle between being like uh, and I, when i watch it i'm like okay am i watching a podcast or am i watching a football game like are actually people that are actually watching a football game cuz they only when the interviews come in they're kind of marginally checking in on the game and a lot of times depending on who the guest is they're completely ignoring the game altogether i for my personal taste yeah i would rather have i want to be i would think i would like to be able to watch it with those guys and if they have a guest it's a guest who comes on to watch the game with them almost to where you shouldn't prepare any questions in advance yes it really should just be like oh Gronk yes. stopped by to to watch the game cool uh they, so i just don't know how it's being packaged and presented and that's where again i go back to i i think that whatever sponsorships they're selling for their online presence is probably pretty lucrative as well. When they repackage these things as interviews and and put them on YouTube or podcast them or anything else, they're probably doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, that that answer an, is – I give it an A, and I'm not doing yeah. that because it's my boss and I'm kissing his butt or anything like that. This is something I've been saying on this show for months now, which is I, I, I'm off of the Manning cast because it's – I don't care what LeBron James – I don't care about an interview with LeBron James. I don't care about an interview with – Whatever actor you know, with they're they're cross promoting the Mandalorian, and they've got the dude who plays the Mandalorian on there for for a quarter. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I don't know if they did that or not, but they do do stuff like that where they've got actors and singers. They had Luke Bryan on for a quarter. Like I I don't care what Luke Bryan has to say outside of the Manning cast. I yeah. certainly don't care what he has to say inside the Manning cast.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I know that, but that yeah, I guess I, I I I I keep seeing people attack this thing like. How are we going to save the Manning cast and make it more like traditional television? I'm like, it's not. It's not supposed to be. It's not to be. If you don't like Luke Bryan, you go back and you watch the actual game. That's why, like, highlights get more views than actual anybody else. So, um, but yes, if it, if what you're trying to do is make it more like a broadcast that somebody watches start to finish, then by all means, get the, get the hell rid of the interview. I, I
1: don't even want a classic broadcast. I just want to feel like I'm sitting with Peyton and Eli Manning watching a football game. That's all yeah, I'm looking for. Yeah, and it distracts yeah. from that. Um, do you want to hear a couple of the other ideas and see what yes. you think? Okay. Okay, this, is, this one is from a guy named Matt Edgar, who is the program director, director at 680 The Fan in Atlanta. He says this, you don't want to get gimmicky or clownish, but I'd love to see the Mannings talk with a mic'd up player similar to what they do on Sunday Night Baseball. They obviously can't speak with a player between the lines. Now that would be funny. Um, but what about someone who's in the mix and actually playing like a linebacker after the defense Comes off the field, Seth. How feasible? I feel like baseball is more conducive to that because it's just a more relaxed sport. Yeah, you know, like like baseball, they're literally interviewing guys as they're playing left field or second base. It's a different sport. I get the comparison. I just feel like a sideline of a line. Can you imagine trying to interview Brian Cushing coming off of the field back in two thousand
4: nine?
3: Well, like, you know, yeah, and so much like the mythology they've built up around the NFL. That, that frankly ends up wasting a lot of energy by young uh, by young football players mm-hmm. is because you, you always feel like you're supposed to be acting like Ray Lewis 24 hours a day. Um, <laughs> it's like the intense focus, and you're just dialed in for the entire three hours and all of that. Where, yeah, there are... Look, there are a lot of times when the other units on the field that you are just, you know, having a casual just hanging out and um, just waiting for your turn to go out there. So I... I think that they could do that. The problem is the old school football coaches who also want to pretend like they're, like they're storming the beaches of Normandy and that they're, they're generals or colonels in the Army, they, um, they're, they're not going to go for that either. I, I think that would be a really, really good idea. If you, could just, uh, if you could interview some of the guys on the bench while the other unit's on the field, for sure.
1: It'd be incredible. I, you know what I would settle for? I would settle for the backup quarterback of a team having yeah. that earpiece and Peyton and Eli talking to the backup quarterback during a game.
3: Yeah, that'd be fun, too, because then you could fuel quarterback controversy. When the, the backup quarterback – a lot of times the backup Uh-oh. quarterback is a pretty bright dude who's sticking around because he's smart and, he, you know, people can rely on him and trust him. A lot of times he's also a good dude. Like Doug Peterson, the the story was always that Doug Peterson always had a job in Green Bay basically to keep Favre from drinking up all the beer in Green Bay Um, until Favre got <laughs> – Peterson probably hated it when Favre got sober. He's like, "Oh great. I'm out of a job now. Great. I thought, you, I thought you were going to say he
1: probably hated it when they actually did finally run out of beer in Green Bay.
3: Yeah. A- <laughs> I don't have a job anymore. We ran out of
1: beer. If Brett drank it all.
3: So, I think that, yeah, that would be that would be a really good idea. The backup quarterback would be a, a very smart one. Right, or the come- assistant head coach. If it was Romeo Cornell. <laughs>
1: oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, all right, one more. This is from, again, these are ideas to refresh – the Manning cast in year three. This is from Matt Fishman, the program director at 850 ESPN in Cleveland. The real challenge is how to be more interesting and entertaining each week. The first year was a great novelty, a real breath of fresh air, especially with some underwhelming games. Um, Oh, wait, hang on a second. Uh, That was his answer to the first question. Here we go. This is Matt Fishman's answer to the revamping of the Manning cast. To me, the biggest miss is not having Eli and Peyton in the same place. It yeah. creates a certain sloppiness and a decent amount of them talking over each other. Some of that gives it the casualness that's appealing, and some of it's just messy. It's sort of like Zoom calls. They were fine when you needed them during the pandemic, but if you can do it in person, it's better.
3: It's a lot of things to juggle for a couple of, I don't want to say amateur, you know, podcasters, but. When you're doing, and, but that's where it, like the juggling part comes, in. it's hard enough if you're broadcasting a game remotely because there is a lot of non-verbal communication, like hand signals and stuff. That's even harder to. It's not the same as on Zoom. You can wave your hand to tell the guy you want to speak, but in person you can tap him on the shoulder, or he can hold you off and keep you from talking. All that kind of stuff. And but yeah, with when you have the added element of trying to do an interview or have casual conversation while the game's going on. And Eli's lag might be a little bit different than Peyton's lag is at any given point that that does make it, it makes it less natural. The the conversation is less natural. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, it doesn't ruin it for me. Like that was one, that was one that I read where I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I can remember a few times I watched where maybe there was an internet lag and, and there were awkward pauses and things like that. Um,
3: but that- the thing that's not going to happen, though, is that I, I think part of it, two is that when I've watched at least, it doesn't necessarily seem that either guy is has like totally studied the hell out of the teams in the matchup, um, especially Eli. And <laughs> it- I think that's like that's what they want they don't want to they don't want to have to be studying teams all week long or even a a certain amount of time their idea was look at this we've got something marketable if it's just us hanging out and talking and watching the game and i do think like i think they probably make pretty good money on this i think they they get a bunch of views on the internet from the interviews they uh in the highlights and various things i mean i just i kind of casually looked on youtube which is, it's not going to be their chief revenue generator, but they've got so many videos from the Manicast with over a million views. And when they show that on the ESPN website, they get much higher advertising rates. So it's, um, I think they're probably doing really well. I think it's a, I think it's probably a financially successful deal as is. And they're not, they're not necessarily going to try to tweak it for broadcast sake.
1: I think one of the things they recognize too, because I saw a quote from Peyton yesterday about this, is that they're going to keep it at 10 games. They're not yeah. going to do every game. I think that helps that it stays fresh. There's, you know, Anytime you leave people wanting more of something, it's going to enhance whatever that product is. So I think this, the built-in, I'll call it scarcity. I mean, 10 games is still more than half the season. Um, but I think that they're doing it not every week. Probably helps them because people get to where they're looking forward to it. Oh, there's a Manning-Cast game. Oh, okay. All right, let's, um, let's do some headlines.
4: Payne and Pendergast with today's headlines brought to you by
1: baywayjeep.com. All right, here's where we are with the Texans head coaching search. D'Amico Ryans is set to interview tomorrow with the team. Uh, the interviews that have taken place so far, the two Eagle coordinators, Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, interviewed over the weekend. Um, we had Ajiro Averro and Thomas Brown. Ajiro Avero, the D.C. in Denver. Thomas Brown, the assistant head coach with the Rams. They interviewed on Tuesday this week. And who am I missing? I'm missing one. Uh, well, Peyton, Sean Peyton obviously did a Zoom. We're going to get to him in, in just a second. Um, man, I, oh, oh, and Ben Johnson interviewed last Friday, but he took his name out of the mix, the offensive coordinator for Detroit. So that's where we are with all the interviews. The, the audio and the news that's making the round today is Colin Cowherd, in the very first segment of his show yesterday, was talking about going out to dinner with Sean Peyton earlier this week, and they spent several hours talking football which I would imagine was a lot of fun for Colin Cowherd. Um, Colin Cowherd then proceeded yesterday morning to uh, share uh, his, uh, share some, basically some thoughts on the heels of that dinner. And one of the thoughts was about the importance of ownership to an NFL football
4: team. There's a lot of bad owners out there that sometimes they inherited money uh, from a family. A lot of times they don't even like the sport. Uh, somebody dies in a the family, they're left with it. Um, but the gap, I can tell you this, um, the gap listening to stories last night between the haves and the have nots in this league is not just quarterbacks or coaches. It is ownership. Even on zoom calls, you can spot the dysfunction, zoom calls, not even being in the room. You can see why certain teams lose.
1: Okay. So the first 20 seconds or so of that, I'm like, okay, those are some generalities. I'm not too nervous about this. The zoom call thing, obviously. Makes everybody a little nervous because Peyton was on a Zoom call with yeah. the Texans on Monday this week, and that is yeah. the only... <laughs> that is, one, that is the only team he's reportedly conducted a Zoom interview with, and two, Sean Payton or Colin Coward is the only one who was at dinner with Sean Payton the other
3: night. <laughs> he yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I don't know why he even excised the word Texans from that little story that he just told. Right. So, uh, maybe we're making too much of an assumption. Uh, I don't... It's, it, I do think that there is a very good chance, or I guess I'm hoping there's a good chance, that Sean Payton had a conversation in this Zoom call, which by others was reported to have gone well. So who knows? Um, But I mean, (laughs) Coward did have a... (laughs) Coward's disclosing his source as the Texans themselves. I do think that right there, like he talks about various things that could go wrong with... NFL ownership, and he talked about a few things, including owners who don't even like the sport. Well, that's clearly not Cal McNair. I mean, Cal McNair walked on at Texas. Cal McNair likes football and has, like, been very evidently liked football for the past 20 years. So, I think, A, he might be conflating a few things all into one and, um, you know, conflating multiple stories into one. The Zoom kind of c- connects all the bad stuff to the Texans and the Texans alone. But I also think that, B, what I would hope is that maybe the Texans had an open and frank discussion with Sean Payton about the dysfunction that there has been in the team organization for the last two or three years. And that... This is what they've done to rectify it, but in the t- in the hearing and then the retelling of the story, it becomes oh yeah, wow, yeah, Peyton could tell that it was dysfunctional just by talking to him over Zoom, yeah. Which actually would be lit, which would be literally correct, even if it was the Texans themselves telling Sean Payton about the dysfunction.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the best case scenario is that Colin yeah. Cowherd is kind of butchering the story a little bit. And I'm I'm with you the, when I when when I first saw this video making the rounds on Twitter, because I. I saw it with people's thoughts on it sort of attached to it in a retweet yeah. comment. So I was bracing myself for it. And yeah, certainly the part at the end where you can sense the dysfunction on Zoom is a tough thing to hear if you're a Texan fan. But as I'm listening to it, you know, from beginning to end, the part where he said, Some of these owners don't even like the sport. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not the Texans. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you're right. He may there may just be a stew of bad ownership stories that got told. They I mean they spent several hours together at dinner. Um, that night, uh, Cowherd and Peyton did. I think the best case scenario is what you're talking about, Seth, that this is just Colin Cowherd just kind of conflating some things and that the Texans were mentioned in there, but maybe he's he's twisting it a little bit. I think the worst case scenario, as you've pointed out, has less to do with Sean Payton and more to do with the overall process to find the next head coach. You know, if there's some sort of, Bad impression that's being conveyed in a Zoom call. That's not a Sean Payton thing as much as it is a problem with any Zoom interview that you're right, conducting.
3: Right? Right. If it's um, if it's if it's just if Sean Payton is that freely and loosely saying something like that to Colin Coward, then what are the Zoom calls going to go like with with anybody else? With sure. Shane Steichen or Kafka or uh, you know Gannon has already met with the Texans. The fact that Gannon's meeting you know. Open to the Texans again is at least a good sign, and I know I think it, it, I think a lot of people feel like Gannon was Casario's favorite, uh, or at least one of his favorites last go around. So um, that that is the big concern. I I for one, I mean, I know that the Texans have acknowledged some of the things that were wrong the last couple of years, and they've taken measures to fix it, and I that's why I could easily see. I could easily see Sean Payton describing the things that the McNairs told him. And it's like, if I were telling you, Sean, some story about, like, yeah, this conversation with the, with the McNairs, and you should have heard what they were telling me about what was going on in the organization, and then you hear that as like, oh, wow, the Texans have some messed up stuff going on. yeah, And just that little... That little glitch in tense that gets messed up in the comprehension and the retelling makes it way worse than perhaps what actually happened.
1: Yep, hopefully that's the case. All right, so that's where we are with the Texans head coaching search. Yep. Um, uh, meanwhile, over to the Rockets we go, and the Rockets, they lose in the battle of the two worst teams in the NBA last night, the Charlotte Hornets and the Houston Rockets. The Rockets lose 122-117, to 117, but that, that's not been the big story surrounding the Rockets. The last couple of days, the big story has been John Wall on Theo Pinson's podcast um, going just scorched earth on the Rockets organization. Just to reset a couple of those, because Stephen Silas, the coach of the Rockets, responded to John Wall in, in fairly great depth and detail. We won't have all of it, but we'll have the highlights for you here in just a second. But just to reset, here was John Wall when he was asked about the Rockets organization initially during the conversation.
5: Well you got traded to the Rockets, talk about the Rockets' experience. Trash. I don't know. I know. Beyond trash.
1: Okay, so he calls them trash. He calls them beyond trash. He then goes on later in the conversation to say that they're a bad organization.
5: Like, it's just a bad organization right now. Mm-hmm. Like, they got to fix some mm-hmm. around. But, like, I always talk to Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, don't get adjusted to this losing. Mm-hmm. It's not how the league is. Yeah. But at the same time, I had to tell him, like, this y'all getting away with over here, you go to any other teams, you'd be out the league. You'd be like, you wouldn't play. You're not playing. They wouldn't play. No, facts. So I'm trying to explain that to them because they think it's sweet. And I'm like, if you ever get traded and go somewhere else, you're gonna be like, this motherfucker was right.
1: We're gonna get to Steven Silas's uh response to this in just a second, Seth. But I did watch that game last night. <laughs> I don't know why. From beginning to end, Charlotte versus versus the Rockets. Um and John Wall said a lot of things in there where I just don't feel sorry for John Wall. You got paid forty-seven million dollars to sit on the sit on the sidelines. They asked you to come off the bench. You didn't want to come off the bench because you felt like you were a better player than the guy that would have been starting. They could could have docked you pay for conduct detrimental. So I, I don't feel sorry for John Wall. I do feel like, though, there were some accuracies with some of the things he said, and particularly that one. That quote stood out to me because this does look like an unaccountable group of young players right now that just get away with whatever they want to do. Just sloppy with the ball, sloppy playing defense sloppy overall, and as I'm listening to the cuts of Steven Silas responding to this last night, I've got the game on TV, and Jalen Green, who had 41 points last night, so he shot the ball well, but Jalen Green and Josh Christopher, these guys are dribbling the ball into traffic, going one-on-one, iso ball, just lazy, and it's – John Wall's right about that. Like, the Rockets, these young players do some things that, honestly, you can't attribute it to them being 19 or 20 years old. You're just being careless, like yeah, that's, yeah, you know, and that's yeah, a there, and
3: that like at what point does the the slovenly carelessness of uh, of, a, of a team just magically transform because you've got the right amount of good players right. on it? There's just a there's a it's a culture issue. Yes, uh, you've got to have like at some point here after the draft, perhaps, um, or you know, along, after the season is over that you got to get some guys some adults in the room I guess. I yep. guess that's the only and that's the only part that for me feels a little bit suspect with what John Wall was saying, which is like, all right, dude, you're supposed to be one of the veterans in the room. And I know that's great that you're having that chat with them and everything about that, but part of transforming the culture would be veterans like John Wall, you know, setting a hard line about no, this is the way you play and don't play the game. Yeah. And um so it's uh, it's it's I don't I take it with a grain of salt. That a guy that was on the team is complaining about in the NBA so much is driven by the players themselves because it's such a small organization because you have because an alpha dog can be a real alpha dog in the NBA the way you can't in baseball or hockey or be, um or, or football because just because of the numbers so I like yeah you're you're complaining about the organization and the way it's run and the way the locker room was but you were also a potential guy that could have changed some of that. They could have come once, off the bench. Yeah, once Harden's out, yeah. once Harden's gone, there's nothing stopping you from being a better influence on those guys. That's right.
1: You're listening to KLT and KLT HD2 and Odyssey Station. Here was Steven Silas yesterday responding to
5: John Wall. I wouldn't say I was surprised with what John said, but at some level, you know, there's frustration and I get it. I, I understand it. But this is the direction that the uh, organization is going in. And it's painful. There's nothing easy about a, a rebuild. <laughs> I, I was on with Matt earlier today, and I was like, "Yeah, Philly, shoot, they went where they went 18, 19, then 10 in the third year. You know, with Brett Brown, and that's very difficult to do. But they got to a point where it was good. And the other rebuild teams, same thing. You go through it. It's really hard. There's losses. There's disappointment. There's frustration. There's people talking and all that stuff but once you get through it it ends up being good so that was just a a really tough situation for John and I get it because he wants to play basketball and he wants to uh contribute and he's doing a good job now with the Clippers before he got hurt
1: okay a couple things to unpack there but the main one is it's not always good you brought up the couple of times that it worked out <laughs> like there's like, I felt like Minnesota <laughs> yeah. was picking at the top of that damn draft for about a decade Sacra- yeah, yeah. Sacramento sure has been stuck in the lottery for a long 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 time you know like yeah there's always the um
3: you gotta you gotta remember there's multiple steps involved and just be that's why and that's why it always gets ugly with a tank because it's rarely the the people who are coming in to try to execute the strategy of tanking are people who haven't yet proven themselves to the fan base. So you're asking, just like people didn't trust Luno or Jim Crane to actually pull it off, there's multiple examples where teams like, like the Browns in football, um, where, yay, great, you've got this strategy, at some point you got to deliver on it, and... Well, you're watching all of the awful things and every negative thing gets magnified. It's not so simple to just say, Don't worry, it'll all turn around. We're going to have great players and great coaches and a great attitude. Yeehaw.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, where Silas, the, the very beginning there, where he said, I kind of knew where John was coming from, yeah, like he he kind of found himself in a similar situation. We played that cut from John Wall yesterday where he talked about. He got traded here and he calls James Harden, thinking, like, yeah, here we go. We're going to be backcourt mates. And Harden's partying in Atlanta during training camp with Lil Baby at his birthday party, giving him a hundred thousand bucks, a honey bun, as they say. <laughs> um, Silas kind of got caught in the same situation. It's like Silas thought he was coming to a team to coach James Harden and Russell Westbrook, yeah. And then he gets here, and that's not the case at all. So I could almost see where like Silas <laughs> like, is kind of empathetic with John Wall, like, yeah. A few of us came here thinking it was going to be X, and it was Y.
0: (laughs) You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.